This is Miles Copeland, and we're talking to Rock with David Shane. Rock of Nations with Dave Ketchin next. <laughs> is out of control and it's the first show here <laughs> welcome in everybody <laughs> happy new year to you brother shane is, is in a car he's uh yeah it's the show in the car he's got the big red light on there uh mm. you, you know shane you don't have to put on the red light but you did anyway <laughs> you know why i did this it's because roxanne right there yes miles Copeland. roxanne roxanne did not have to put on the red light that's right neither do i but, <laughs> but you I did, did anyway <laughs> Miles so come Copeland, on over, the, yeah, the manager of the police who wrote that song, and uh, <laughs> I just I just thought of that. That was perfect. Uh, Happy New Year, brother. How you doing, man? You too, my man. What yeah. a crazy, uh, crazy end to 2021. But do we expect right? anything different? Really? No, 2021 was going to 2021 all the way through, right? Yeah, it was yeah. going to right up to the very last day, which. Yeah. Uh, of course, was uh, when Betty White passed away. Yeah, which so. was insane. I mean, was it People Magazine that said, you know, Betty White's turning 100, and I thought her birthday was actually closer to that date, but obviously not. Yeah, and, and just, I mean, it's like, she's really New Year's Eve, huh? And boy, and then we lost some big ones, of course, like John Madden and some others, and oof, just right up yeah, until it, the end, man. Usually it comes in uh, threes. This this. 2021 you know having to be 2021 i think it came in like sixes <laughs> yeah it really did yeah it was bad it was, it was another it was another stinker of a year but um yeah. yeah it's it's uh early january and we're here and we're and we're we just can't wait to get started with 2022 man after after that we yeah. had a great year though didn't we oh my god it was amazing i think especially the second i mean the whole year but especially the second half i mean just some incredible conversations. I think people looked at, we, we kind of, we didn't really, the whole thing felt like a best of, you know, I mean, because yeah. everything was just like, wow, we talked, you know, we had this great uh, influence on this great influence on, and just to share those conversations with our fans, man, with our friends, our brothers and sisters in rock and roll, nothing else like it, you know? Yeah. I mean, this is not meant to brag, but you do have to toot your own horn every now and then. So, and, <laughs> dude, we started with Barry Andrews yeah. and Brian Wheat right, right out of the gate. Absolutely. Went with Albert and Joe Bouchard, Kevin mm -hmm. Godley, Steve Lukather, Joe Lynn Turner. Amazing, right? Ricky Warwick, Jesse Wagner. Yep. It was phenomenal uh, with Sheik and everybody, Lenny Kravitz, all the people she's played with. Uh, gosh, Billy I mean, Sherwood, Mark Urselli, uh, who's Hal Wilner's producer, Joff. Mm -hmm. Geoff Tate, <laughs> Jeff Tate, <laughs> Jolyn Turner, right? Yeah, Jeff Tate. Uh, really new bands, Upper Lip and Red Rain. Yeah, and they're fantastic. Tonic, the Zombies, Frank Cannon, Tesla, and wow, it just goes on and on, dude. I, <clears throat> yeah, Cassim like, Sultan, uh, yeah, just uh, Utopia. I mean, it's just been amazing. The Moody Blues, you know, John Lodge. I mean, holy crap, you know, it's just. But, and then we had this 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 last month of um, where everything just gelled. And yeah. started with, uh, of course, uh, it was right around the time he talked to John Douglas. Yep. And then it was Rick Allen, Tim Ripper Owens, David Coverdale, Mike Skill, John Lodge, Ted Nugent, Mike Levine of Triumph. Mm -hmm. Somebody I can't say because he's going to be on in a month or so. And then, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And then Carmine Apiece. 
Yeah, which was very cool. And, and we got a big one coming up and a couple big ones coming up. And we're just so, so pumped. Uh, you know, one we can't say because we, we'll tell you when the album's coming out. But man, oh man, it's just great. And uh, yeah, we I think we've got about four or five interviews from late last year going into this new year, kicking it off now with uh, the great Miles Copeland, of course, and his new book. And I'll pull it up the title right here. It's a it's a it's a really fascinating read because it covers everything and you get insight to the music career too. two steps forward, one step back. My life in the music business, Miles A. Copeland, the third founder of IRS Records, manager of The Police and Sting all the way up until 2001. And of course, uh, signer of, uh, gosh, The Go-Go's and R.E.M. and take it away, my brother. So many others. IRS growing up for me was like the label. Yeah. Um, as, as you said, R.E.M., uh, Lords of the New Church, mm -hmm. Go-Go's. My personal favorite on the label was The Cramps. Yeah, yeah. And Wall of Voodoo, Oingo Boingo. <laughs> and, and then later on, as you know, uh, Tony Martin and Black Sabbath were on, on the label. Nuclear Assault was on the label. It, it, he he did so much with that label in, in 15 years. It, it's hard to believe how much he accomplished in, in those 15 years. Just uh, Dead Kennedys. Mm -hmm. And keep going. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Like, I just, I, I'm reading lists today, man. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. Hey, you, you're the list master. <laughs> but the guy. About a master, the list master. Miles, the, the guy, the dude, had such an extraordinary life. You know, growing up in Egypt, growing up swinging London. Uh, there were so many things in the book. Uh, the Vietnam draft was in there as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just a. One of the best music books I've read, and you could probably go to a second and third volume. Actually, I I, I read that thing in like, yeah, and in, in, in pretty much a day. And and such a world music guy too, you know. I mean, he's such a like, uh, um, just truly in the world. Like, I mean, music from all over, you know, not just the pop stuff or the the bands that became pop. Some of the sort of punk post punk stuff is where it started, I think, right? But just yeah. so all encompassing and. Uh, and man, I mean, we ch we chatted with him for at least an hour and it was what I learned so much. I mean, it was almost like a master class, you know, that we were were taking with him as the professor, you know? Yeah, I, it was uh, just as interesting for me to read about the bands that he didn't sign uh, mm -hmm. or he missed he missed out on. And the reasons why in the book, I won't give too many away, but like Generation X, Billy Idol's uh, punk group, Duran Duran. Yep. Uh, who actually signed with him for like a couple days, um, but it didn't work out. I think some of those stories really um, showed you the the ebb and flow of, of the business world, which really I think for most people is probably not this fascinating. Right. But because of the bands that he was after and the bands that he signed, just brought brought something different to the table. Yeah, and, and something that just was right on time. And I remember him talking about a lot of the bands, I think was it R.E.M. the Go-Go's. He said they were so, you know, it, it didn't cost a lot to really bring them on at first, you know? <laughs> right. And then they turn into these mega sensations, you know? So they they thanked him. Uh, he was like one of the first people that they thanked um, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction this year, 2021. Yep. The Go-Go's were inducted. And the first shout out was to Miles. Yeah, which was perfect. Um, you know who who was there so very cool yeah cool I, I, I think i think uh 
the other thing that's amazing is he was also managing uh, bands like Wishbone Ash mm-hmm. and uh, Squeeze and the Police in and around all this other stuff. Yeah. So and monster group. I mean, monster <laughs> bands, especially the Police. Uh, was it Squeeze Tempted? Right, the big mm-hmm. one there, and um, and Wishbone Ash, known for the twin guitar leads and that major attack that so many bands picked up after that. It just it's like, wow. I mean, and I think we could have gone for another two hours. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm really hoping that he puts out part two, you know, three steps yeah. forward, four steps back or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Something. I, I just, uh, the, and also he had a world-class drummer, probably one of the best drummers in the world uh, yeah. down in his basement, Yeah, you know, in, in right. London pra- practicing while he was upstairs uh, trying to do his work. So yeah, yeah Dave, I, I have to say there was a, a tremendous amount of uh, respect and uh, appreciation for getting a chance to talk to him because yeah. that, that was a dream. Yeah, it really was, man. So cool. Just so awesome. And, and, and just the knowledge and, and, you know, the impact and, and I mean, one of the most iconic labels, you know, <laughs> like, especially for alternative, you know? Yeah. I mean, they're still, <clears throat> they're still putting out, the catalog is so vast for IRS records that there's still uh, record store day in the spring or in the summer this, this past year. Uh, one of IRS records, uh, early records from a band called Fashion. Mm. Great band, kind of a reggae-fied post-punk group. Uh, they had an album called Product Perfect. And uh, that was one of the releases for, for this year's record store day. Mm. Um the Paolas, who Bob Rock uh, was was one of the members of the Paolas. Bob Rock. That's right. Went yeah. On to, uh, of course, record Motley Crue and Metallica and many mm-hmm. other groups. Um, the Flesh Tones. Okay. Group, yeah. Peter Zaremba of the Flesh Tones went on. He ha- ended up having a late night uh, new wave show on MTV in the late 80s. Uh, Wall of Voodoo with Stan Ridgeway. I mean, it's just uh, the people that he was in contact with. Yeah. And then, of course, we got to talk to him a little bit about uh, Erg, A Music War, which is probably the movie that changed my life when it came to what kind of music I listened to. Um, and yeah. uh, he, ta- he talked a bit about um, where that is in legal limbo. Yeah, which will be interesting to see where that comes up, you know? Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too, because I, I never knew about that. So that was like, I was like, oh, you know, this this would be something cool once that gets itself sorted out right yeah i mean i i, so I bought cool. it because the first two songs on it were from the police mm-hmm. uh driven to tears and i think uh, when the world is running down you make the best of what's still around uh it was around the time that zinata had just come out mm, and it was yeah. it was two live tracks from the police which are just scorching live tracks oh my god um and i'm really hoping that you get to see some more of the police uh live material in the years to come but we also had some breaking news uh video yeah right a collection of video that he has right yeah so it was a whole bunch of, of videos and they filmed these whole shows of these bands uh and it's shot probably better than any rockumentary i've ever seen yeah as far as uh, just great great video and gary newman was in it and uh you name it if, if they were a band in the 80s xtc was in it uh, orchestral maneuvers in the dark, Echo and the Bunnyman, Devo, mm-hmm. um, you name it. And 
I, I probably listened to that cassette until it broke. <laughs> it was a who's who, you know, and, and we were asking like, gosh, is there any more video? Is there any more? Right. Do you remember that? Like we were asking, like, <laughs> I remember it's like, gosh, it'd be so awesome. like, please tell me there's like three hours, 40 hours of tapes, right. you know, Just sitting in a closet somewhere. But right. unfortunately, a lot well, of this stuff uh, may have been involved in the, the universal uh, fire. Yeah. Yeah which was yeah he said which was awful yeah and i still the stuff yeah. we there's still so much stuff that was lost that we, we probably will never even know what was lost you know so many bands because i remember when that happened and rem put out a tweet saying we're looking into this we're concerned about this i mean they were one of the first bands to send, sign a sound off about it you know yep yeah. well it was all that stuff is owned now by universal and universal yep. owned the lot where and uh i remember Pretty distinctly when we talked to David Coverdale a few months later after, you know, after we talked to Miles that David said that uh, he was really concerned about the Coverdale page material. Yep. Obviously, a lot of the early White Snake stuff is probably long gone. Yeah, and he said that, yeah, um, which was really depressing because some of that early stuff is so good and raw and, you know, and oh, man, I love yeah. that stuff. Gritty, dirty it, rock and roll, you know. His three solo albums, which some of the most um, amazing stuff that he's done next to the Deep Purple stuff that he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the stuff uh, is tied up in legal limbo or it caught on fire. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. And and that's where we are with. Uh, it's kind of sad. It, it suffered really. It should really get a chance to see the light of day. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, true. Uh, ho- hopefully. Uh, but Miles is pretty much cut ties with everything and he's it's not really his thing anymore he's doing uh he does camps and stuff like that mm-hmm. rejuvenation camps and and music camps and stuff like that so he, his life is uh he's no longer worrying about the music business anymore that's right. he kind of left everything up in the air when, when he got rid of yeah. the label which is great because he you know he made his mark right he, he made his impact massive impact and and he can share you know the gift the gift of music in his own way whenever he wants to you know um yeah. like you said with the camps for example right you know that type of thing which is great i mean it's awesome i mean it's a legacy that lives on and, and on and and you know it doesn't get much better than that i don't think i think he p- would like to have been still ma- managing sting at this mm-hmm. point but you know they obviously they had their falling out and yeah uh, I, personally i i think sting's career is just you know since yeah. miles left uh, yeah 2000 i mean 2001 was like the last year which i didn't realize it had been that long and and they were together for a long time even considering that you know so um but no i agree i mean i think it, ha- it hasn't really been the same you know stings kind of picked up a few projects here and there but you know it really hasn't been the, the same and and uh, i i it'd be they were that was a team man i mean they, you know the stuff they did through the the classic solo era you know uh was it dream of blue turtles the dream of blue turtles onward i think yeah, uh, was it the first? Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, but man, oh man, so cool. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it 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 it. Uh, I've had a lot of people uh, say to me over the years how much they miss the old Sting, as far yeah. as uh, those uh, white reggae type records or that that uh, incredible sense of pop that he had. Uh, and now he's making like Christmas records and loot records. And he made a record with with, with Shaggy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> everybody Quincy interviewed him over that. Yeah, <laughs> and it's kind of like um, 
I don't know, dude. You know, I know that he doesn't want. He's going out of his way to not make specifically make the kind of records that that made him big, I guess, yeah. or whatever the the kind of music that he was he's been associated with. But at the same time, he sort of have to kind of go back to your roots at some point. Right. At some point, and, you know. I mean, the Stones have been doing that. They'll do one album or two albums of you know, silliness or pop or whatever. And then they always come back, you know? Right. So, or they did their solo projects where Mick did his crazy pop records as, as Keith calls it. Yeah, he got did, us in the doorway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Keith does his, uh, you know, bluesy uh, three piece, but. Yeah. And the expensive winos, which was really cool. I thought, you know, which I actually like better than any stones record for the yeah. last 20 years, but yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I just Steve Jordan and Keith Richards together, man. Oh, dude, what a beast! What a just yeah. <laughs> Steve Jordan is just a machine, man. He's a groove monster, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But as I, I digress, I just wish that that uh, you know that that old head in me wishes that we'd love to see Miles and Sting get back together and try mm-hmm. one one last chance at uh yeah you know a career revitalization or something. But and I, I'd love I don't to see. I don't, Go ahead. Sorry. I don't think I don't see that happening. Do you? No, I don't see that happening. I, I'd love that. And, and a police reunion, maybe not a full tour, but just like a show or I don't know. So I, I remember back in 07 when they, I could either see Genesis schedule wise, either Genesis or the police. I, I went with Genesis. I'm glad I did. But it's like, damn, I'd love to see the police together again. But yeah, that would be what a tour that would be if those two got back together and put something together, you know, like a retrospective release, you know, it'd be amazing. Yeah. The real bonus for the book because i'm a big squeeze fan i'm I'm a big early squeeze fan I'll, I'll correct myself um was uh i didn't realize how uncool squeeze was really mm. <laughs> and um they were basically a pub band and miles turned them into into new wave you yeah. know and made them into one of the 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 i would say probably people that i knew and hung out with they were probably one of the most popular bands and, and were right up there with the police as far as an elvis costello with popularity oh, yeah. what would you just describe squeeze's early sound like before the like the big singles what would you describe their early sound as I, it was it was a little more uh jagged uh, okay a, a lot of that uh weird new wave synth that they use where it was just basically uh repetitive uh mm melodies over and over again almost like loops and uh catchy songs everything two minutes three minutes nothing over three minutes mm. um and then they brought in paul carrick of course for yep mike and the mechanics and, yep and uh and and that that song turned turned out to be just the biggest song of their careers uh they, they really didn't have to write anything after that but they had so many good singles yeah so and, much material uh, one of the best-selling albums of the '80s was uh, uh, <clears throat> Squeeze's singles "45s and Under," mm. you know, which was the best of at the time. You know, "Black Coffee in Bed," "Annie Get Your Gun." Oh yeah, yeah. Um, they were kind of being uh, different. Chris Difford and Glenn Tilbrook uh, were kind of like the Paul Paul McCartney, and they were being touted as this might have been Miles. We didn't ask him this, but they were kind of being touted at the time by the press as the as the new McCartney Lennon. Okay. And uh, I think they like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get the yeah. mileage out of that. Holy shit. But 
but in, in his book, it, it was, <laughs> they were just, uh, they were, they were, uh, they were a pub band. Uh, they were, they were very uncool. <laughs> they, they had a, a drummer who was a giant, very large man. Yeah, he like was big. Seven yeah. feet. And um, it just, the look of that band was just not something that was easy to market. Yeah. But Miles just had a way of pulling the art out of the artist. Yeah, just brilliantly. And let them do their thing too. And it was just like, just, it's it just the quintessential businessman and, you know, audiophile. You know what I mean? Like just yeah. perfect combination, I think. The thing, the thing that really gets me about him and definitely check this out in the book is that he was there for Swinging London, which was Floyd, the Stones, Jethro Tull, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my God. Which, which in and of itself was like huge. Yeah. And then 10 years later, he was there for, for the advent of punk. Mm-hmm. And he pretty much went in and and cherry-picked bands, some of them being some of the best bands or related to some of the best bands of the era. Yeah. You know, Steve, ba- Steve Bader's from Lords of the New Church. Uh, he, it was kind of a super group that was assembled that was Steve Bader's from, from um, the Dead Boys mm-hmm. and Brian James from The Damned, uh, Nikki Traguna, and I and, uh, forget who the drummer was, but they all, or maybe Dave Traguna, I can't remember the, the other two guys' names. Mm. I'm medicated. No, I'm <laughs> but but they they were they were a great summation of you know what what they came from and, and Lords of the New Church was just a fantastic 80s band. Oh, yeah. uh, you, you'll you'll hear them on Little Stevens Garage or and all Sorry, that I had stuff. to take I a mean, screenshot they, of you in the red. <laughs> oh really? I'm scratching. Yeah. Ah! People are like, what's that noise? I, I will put this picture up on the web. Shane with the red. It's like, this is wild, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to throw you Roxanne! off. <laughs> but I just, I, uh, very proud of this interview. I'm very proud of what we got to ask him. Me too. Man. We, we got it all in. We covered it all, which was, I, well, but we could always go deeper too at the same time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, I probably have another fifty questions to ask him. Yeah, at least. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the thing was, bit. the the trivia question that you'll never get if somebody asks you is where where did Miles, you know, Copeland uh, grow up? Mm-hmm. He grew up a, a decent chunk there in Alabama. Yeah, which you never would have. I I never would have guessed that. Yeah, and when when the book came out. Uh, and he was wrapping it up uh, this time last year. Uh, he kind of went full circle from Alabama to, uh, you know, the January 6th stuff. Yep. We're not getting into politics, of course, but he was just mm-hmm. talking about the direction of, of the country and stuff. And um, these, these incredible times that we're living in again, you know, yeah. because that's that's the way it was when he was growing up in, in Alabama as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know kind of the same thing with the unrest and just an amazing life I, yeah if you could, full circle life yeah if you could turn around have a dart throw it at a dartboard and hit a map on like all the like the five most interesting places to live and the times to live them in miles pretty much did that 
Yeah, which is just incredible. I mean, and, and had so many stories in there and just, and he's open about his successes, you know, the things that didn't work out, like it's not a, and he said this, you know, he didn't want to do a book that was just, you know, look at me, look at how great I am, you know, he was open. And so there's something for business people too, and just people who have goals in life. I mean, there's something there that's even beyond the music, which is, which is even, even better, you know? Yeah, his humility was staggering, I think, because he loves talking about his failures, you yeah. know, <laughs> and, and they played a big part in his life, you know, yeah. and a big role in his life. And you, you, you don't learn in life unless you have them. Right. You know, and that, that was, that was kind of reiterated over and over in the book, but man, yeah. I got to read the book again, Dave. I know, man, I me too. <laughs> I, I read it in the summer and I got to go back. And <laughs> yeah, we got to go back. But what do we say we get people caught up with uh, toss right on to it, man? What do you say? Yes. We would love to play some IRS music, but we can, of course, right. because right. it's universal. The rights and all <laughs> and such. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be hunted down by the universal police. Do you, Dave? No, I wouldn't. Nope. But this would make a great history <laughs> lesson, though. I think the history lesson series is coming back, baby. That would be great. Ow! Yes. Oh, some yeah. tracks and some conversation and some more tracks and conversation. Yes. Well, <laughs> let's uh, get right into anything else come to mind before we toss to the old, uh, before we toss to well ourselves. <laughs> yeah, I think, <laughs> no, I, I think people, <laughs> I think people have heard enough. I think people have heard enough of me. And here's more of us. <laughs> uh, I mean, Miles Copeland with us now. <laughs> yeah. Miles Copeland, the book, two steps forward, one step back. My life in the music business, Miles A. Copeland, the third, take it away. Roll the tape. Yeah. Hey, everybody, this is Joe Lynch. Hi, everybody. This is Rob Halford. The Rudy Sosa. Hi, yeah, this is Steve Hackett. You folks are just recapping the triumph from It's Talking Rock with Dave and Shane. Miles Copeland out with the book, Two Steps Forward, One Step Back, My Life in the Music Business. And uh, Miles, first of all, we're a big fan of your work, of uh, IRS records, of the police, of everything that you've that you've touched. So we're grateful for your time. Um, you know, your, your book, it, it's uh, certainly your personal stories. It, it, there's so much there, I think, for the music industry, for people uh, thinking about getting in the music industry, maybe for lessons that the industry can learn. I'm wondering first, you know, for one, how does it feel having this story out there? And 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 how do you think um, the industry itself that's undergone so many changes will receive it? Because I think there's so much in there that that can avoid maybe history repeating itself in, in some negative ways and, and, and bring back some of the glory, perhaps, that the industry could use. Well, you know, I mean, to tell you the truth, I never really thought about doing well. I've had a lot of people say to me over the years, you know, you got to write a book, you got to write a book, you know, yeah. and I, I've always resisted because the idea of a kind of memoir, you know, which was sort of smacks of this is what I did. And isn't that great? And, you know, look at what I, you know, what a hero I am, you know, that always smelled a bit self-serving to me. So I wanted to write a book that was more um, interesting to somebody that was is starting a business, not just in the music business, but more, you know, just lessons one learns over life doing business that might be applied to running a restaurant or, you know, any other small business. So, you know, I'm glad I, I that, that the, in, in a way the COVID thing happened and, and I'm sitting at home in L.A. stuck with nothing to do. 
mm. which probably was the was the motivation for actually getting off my butt and doing the book. Mm. But uh, I'm glad that it ended up being more of a um, how to and uh, in, in, instructional book. Although I had to lace it with also the funny stories, of course, and, you know, <laughs> 15, 50 years in the music business dealing with some of the crazy people that I did. You can't help but come across some, some pretty <laughs> amusing stories. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you ever look back at, at your life and say, you know, you, you came from Alabama, you know, and if you look at Alabama right now, they have the highest COVID rates in, in the U.S. that not much has changed in Alabama since you, you were there. Well, my father was from Alabama, and I went to college in Alabama, and that's about as close to Alabama as I got. And I have to admit, I, I wanted to get away from there because it was so insular. And I'd grown up in, in the Middle East, and you, know, you, you tend to look at the whole world, whereas a lot of places in America, they really look inward. They don't look outward. And I had a problem with that. You know, it, it's, it's probably a deficiency in me. My father somehow managed to have to look outward and come from Alabama, you know, so, you know, but maybe that was because of World War II and you were sort of forced to, to look further afield than just Alabama, you know, but uh, the, the, the reality is that Birmingham was interesting for me in that it showed me a part of America that I had not really been exposed to that I needed to be exposed to. And I think that's probably what a lot of Democrats are thinking right now when they're thinking of, you know, how the hell did Donald Trump yeah. get elected? You know, <laughs> uh, they need they needed to really realize that there is a there is an America out there that, you know, if you're an intellectual living in New York or L.A., you probably will never realize. Yeah, it's interesting because I uh, those early influences, especially growing up, you know, with that international affairs uh, mindset and dynamic it's it certainly influences music obviously and, and there's the cultural influences too um i mean do you think do you think music can find a way to bring people together um i mean it, it sounds cliche to say but um with all the differences out there and all the tensions that you've talked about i mean do you think that's something that we can look forward to in terms of trying to pull ourselves uh, out of the rut we're in well, I think music has always pulled people together in one way or another. In some cases, it might have separated people as well. You know, I mean, I remember the punks, they seem to be pretty dedicated on separating themselves from from the generation that, that preceded them. But, you know, music is really an expression of, you know, what you're into. And it tends to be a bit more intellectual than than, uh, you know, shoveling dirt or driving a truck, you know. But, uh, you know, the, the reality also is, is the music business, a lot of people like, like yourself have said, you know, it's all changed. It's all so different. And, you know, what do you, what do you, what do you say now? But I actually, when I, when I wrote the book, I realized that, 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 that it all really starts. I don't care what you're doing, whether you're selling a can of beans or you're, you're starting a rock and roll band or whatever, but it really always starts with, with, the getting noticed how do you get attention and let people know you exist and when i've had music artists come to me and go well mellows is all about the music you know it's 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 about the music man and i would go well no actually it's not yeah the first thing is to get noticed once you're noticed then it's about the music because if nobody knows you exist i don't care how good your music is 
that, that it doesn't matter. Nobody's going to know it's there, you know? Yeah. And so when you think about the, you know, Elvis Presley shaking his hips, you know, which is kind of shocking for the time, the Beatles with long hair, the Rolling Stones getting busted, Kiss painting their face, you know, Elton John's wild, you know, a lot of the great artists, you know, had were, were pretty wild in one way or another to get attention. And once they got attention, people then listened to the music and decided whether they liked it or not. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've had artists that probably got more attention than they did, uh, th than people liked the music, yeah. but at least they got attention and they got a starting point. So I, I would say from that standpoint, the music business has always been the same. And it, it and in a lot of ways, the internet has opened up people to be exposed to music from Africa and a lot of other places that we might never have been exposed to. So in, in that way, music does bring people together. Can you talk about, speaking of discovery, can you talk about, I mean, you know, from the police to the Go-Go's to, you know, obviously REM, I mean, you know, when they were first uh, getting noticed. I know you have the obvious, you know, the, the family connection to the police, but talk about kind of just going through and when those groups first got noticed and what that was like. Well, the, the, the funny thing was that in, in the case of almost all of the acts I work with, the biggest problem was getting noticed, you know, getting attention, getting into the game. Uh, the police were dismissed because they were they weren't punk enough. So they the punks couldn't quite accept them. You know, Stewart had been in Curved Air. Sting was in Last Exit, which was a jazz group. Andy Summers was in Soft Machine. So they weren't really punks, you know, but they bought into the whole spirit of of, you know, challenging the establishment, you know. So they, they were punk in attitude, but they really weren't punk in musicianship, you know. The, the Go-Go's were rejected because they were all women. You know, every single record company turned them down and said, well, we won't give you a deal because there's never been a girl group that's been that successful. Mm -hmm. So when I when I went to the Whiskey a Go-Go to see the, go, you know, see the bands played uh, and I saw the, the Go-Go's up there, you know, five engaging women who wrote their own songs, played the music. The audience was loving it, you know. I looked around and I was thinking, man, how bad could this be? What a great gimmick, five women. And not a single A&R guy was in the room. You know, I was the only one. So I had no competition, you know. And the same goes to the Bengals. You know, I was told that Walk Like an Egyptian is too quirky, will never be a single. You know, I was told that Sting's Desert Rose would was, you know, well, take that Arab guy off the record and maybe maybe it'll do something. Well, of course, it became his one of his biggest hits, you know. So... Unfortunately, a lot of the establishment does look upon things and, and misses it, you know, and I, you know, as I say in the book, you know, I, I, the title being two steps forward, one step back is really a recognition that no matter who, who you are and how smart you are, you're going to make mistakes. There's going to be those steps backward, you know, and I certainly had some as well, you know, but you learn as much from that as you do from successes. And I think most of the, you know, you know, well, you know, very successful people would admit that they learned as many things from mistakes as they did from successes, you know, so uh, I wanted to make that point in the book, you know, it wasn't a bit all about, you know, here's all the great things I did. And that's it. You know, it was also, look, I also screwed up quite a few times too. Yeah, you're the thing that really blew me away in the book uh, was kind of funny uh, was you got a D in music in college. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, 
and and I should have had an F, but I think the 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 professor took sympathy on me, you know, and right. he thought, well, you know, I give the guy an F, he probably won't, you know, get an MA degree, you know. So, and it's only music, so he gave me a D. <laughs> you know. But you had such a golden ear. I mean, to find bands, and even if you found them on Image, um, uh, a lot of the punk bands, like you, you had Dead Kennedys, uh, you brought them on. How how did that go about? How did you find them? Was it just on the name alone, or well, I had a lot of people, you know, when, when IRS started, you know, and, and the fact that the police had sort of been in the punk thing and I, I had worked with the Sex Pistols and a lot of other bands, you know, that were in this in this sort of revolutionary punk kind of thing. So I got the reputation of being somebody that would actually listen to your kooky, weird stuff, you know. So as as Charlotte Caffey from the Go-Go said, is IRS became the home of all the the homeless weird old freaks, you know, because we were the only place that would listen to their stuff, you know. So we, so I had a lot of artists that would come to me simply because nobody else would take their phone call, you know. So I, you know, I, I would sit in a restaurant and up would come the waiter and I'd be handed a tape, you know. So yeah. I actually bought a car. Somebody had sold me a car and he put his tape in the car, you know. So yeah, <laughs> any number of ways that I was approached, you know, because really our, our, reputation was look if we like it we'll sign it you know we're not we're not following some rule book you know that says well girls can't happen and you know if you're too punky you know and and you know so i i just signed what i liked i don't think i had particularly great ears i just knew what i liked and if i really thought it was good i figured well i'm not that much of a freak so you must be other people like me who might like it too so then when that when they blow up, I mean, is there vindication, you know, when when these groups just, you know, take I mean, blow up and become so iconic? Yeah. Then, of course, you know, you you pat yourself in the back and think, well, I was right about that one. Yeah. But <laughs> there were a few of those bands, too, that I thought were really going to happen. Of course, one reason or another, they didn't happen. You know, it, it was too expensive. We ran out of money. They, the group broke up. Uh, the guy was an idiot or the, you know, who knows, uh, or we screwed up the record company screwed up. You know, you don't really know lot. There's, there's always an element of luck in there. There's always an element of timing. You know, sometimes you get it wrong and that's, that's just the reality of, of most businesses. You know, you're not going to be success, successful at every single move. You know, you're going to have a few hiccups, you know, you're going to have a few steps backward. Yeah. To say, yeah. yeah. The Billy zoom thing. Um, that was fascinating um, that he didn't want to sign with you because he thought that <laughs> uh, you were monitoring, I guess, what the, the kids and, and the CIA was studying the, the kids. I thought that was amazing. That was well, that a band I, I, that you I was amazed that he imagined that the CIA would give a damn, you know, I mean, the CIA is so disorganized, like most of those organizations that you know, they don't know from, you know, somebody tells them one thing, they're going to believe it. You know, they follow something else and they believe that too. So I was thinking, you know, please don't give the CIA so much credit, you know, that they really going to study the youth through IRS records, you know, but, you know, he was convinced we were organized by the CIA and financed and he stormed out of the room. You know, I mean, I, I think I must've met him for no more than five minutes before he stormed out saying, X will never sign with IRS records because we know you're a CIA front. You know, I was thinking, boy, I wish, you know, have them send me a check. 
Oh yeah, it's, it's funny that the the fear that I guess some people had, right? I mean, uh, when you took the Sex Pistols to Holland, what was? I mean, can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, I, I realized then that Malcolm McLaren, who I had been reading all about, you know, I mean, he was uh, w- was really into getting news and getting attention. He had really gotten the message that the first job is to get noticed and to get attention. And the Sex Pistols certainly got, did that. But what I didn't really realize until I traveled with them is that they themselves wanted to be an actual band and do gigs and, you know, get out and play and, you know, but Malcolm was more interested in getting press and getting attention than he was in helping the band, you know? So I actually came to the conclusion that he really wasn't a manager. He was a, he was a promoter, basically. He was a publicist. And, and as, as it happened, he ended up as being an artist himself, you know? So the Sex Pistols were, were a success story publicity wise, but not really record wise or concert wise because the, you know, they screwed up so many concerts and, and they were a mess in many ways, which which got a lot of press. And that was really the, the you know, my, my, my takeaway from it. And in a way, I kind of felt sorry for them because I thought they all wanted to be a band. And Malcolm had no interest whatsoever in them being a band. Mm. Yeah. What, did, did, uh, did they behave with you or was it just as crazy as you could possibly think it was, it was going to be? No, they were a lot nicer than the newspapers made them out to be. I mean, I read the newspaper article the next day and it said they were spitting all the way. They were drunk in the air in the airplane and insulted the stewardess and all that. No, they were all perfectly fine. You know, so (laughs) I I was thinking, well, you know, what the hell is everybody talking about? But the point is, it made a better story to say that they were insulting everybody on on the airplane. You know, it sold more newspapers. So the newspapers were predisposed to you know, latch on to every bit of nuance they could that, that would help sell newspapers. So if somebody said, well, yeah, Johnny Rotten spit at the stewardess, that, that was front page news, you know. So so that was a, a great lesson to learn uh, and certainly didn't, you know, I mean, it certainly certainly helped Donald Trump. And, you know, you look at a lot of artists who have gotten a lot of attention over the years. You know, I mean, you think of Alice Cooper, you think of him biting the head off of a chicken, you right. know. I mean, Sting is still living down the tantric sex thing. You know, when when people talk to Sting, you know, they're going to talk about Fragile or, yeah. you know, Message in a Bottle or all the great songs he wrote, you know. But they'll come up with, what about tantric sex, you know? <laughs> so so sometimes these things will they, they'll last, you know, because they're more, they, they, like the old saying goes, if it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. You know, the more outrageous it is, the longer the story lasts. Yeah, it's interesting, especially um, the it build, builds up the sort of I don't want to say legend or myth, but that kind of idea, I guess, right? And and it sticks within yeah, artists as long the as mis- the catalog. It's the mistake. Yeah, I, and I think that it, that 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 element, um, which was always very surprising to me, for the artists like REM, because they never, and I say so in the book, you know, they they never really caused any trouble. They they uh, they were not predisposed to go out and and be outrageous in any way and they just slowly built and built and built and built you know whereas most of the bands that i had gravitated towards were just nuts you know and you never knew what they were going to do but they got attention you know and it was actually for me a bit more fun you know so rem was but they got there in the end and they ended up selling millions of records you know because they really had something to say and they were an important group but it could be easily missed in the beginning because they were 
they didn't get attention. They didn't even appear in their own videos, for Christ's sake. Right. Did you did you have to get on them for that? Were you was that frustrating, or are you just kind of yeah? With I it? said to them, I said, "Why on earth don't you appear in your own videos?" And they kind of looked at me like, "Well, because you know." <laughs> uh, so, what do you say? You know, I I I I never had a problem with them. You know, they never they never asked for more money or royalties or whatever. So I kind of like just went went with the flow, you know. And yeah. other people in the company kind of dealt with them on a daily basis and. I was never dragged in because there was never any issue, you know, when the Go-Go's wanted to renegotiate the contract, of course I'm involved or John Napolitano from Concrete Blonde, you know, was getting up to some wild stuff or the, the Lords of the New Church or Wall of Voodoo, you know, all of the, the, the bands that, you know, were a lot of fun, the Cramps, you know, a lot of these bands were, there were issues, you know, and, and I'm always being dragged in. So I have a lot more stories you know, about the cramps and voodoo and all these other bands that I do about R.E.M., you know, mm. because R.E.M. was just, you know, they just trucked along and built and built and built and there was never an issue. So, you know, what's there to what's there to argue and fight about or, you know, deal with? You know, it was it was it was pretty painless all the way through. Did you get a Is sense it, of where? Oh, good. Go I'm sorry. Yeah, I just just while we we're talking about the cramps, are you kind of amazed at how the cramps the longevity of that band and how they have kept going and they're like the underground band you know probably one of the biggest underground bands of all time well i i love the cramps which which i think i say in the book i don't think they could possibly believe because they were so i mean i went out to you know i i, I went on the road with them you know and i remember going into a crappy restaurant and we were thrown out Mm. you know and there were there were there were you know hobos in that restaurant you know they weren't thrown out but the cramps were i got yeah. kicked out of a of a hotel because one of the cramps came to visit me you know so they were always being got at by by the by everybody basically and so they assumed that everybody was the enemy you know and i would carry their equipment and be with them and this and that but you know i i don't think they ever really could possibly believe that this you know mr straight guy you know running irs records businessman could actually like the cramps you know <laughs> but i put them on opening for the police and and uh, i mean I, I i saved lux interior's life several times believe me when he jumps <laughs> into the audience and i swear the guy was trying to kill himself you know and the audience was trying to kill him you know and i would go in and drag him out you know but yeah, uh, yeah I, I think they were this one of those kind of bands that really summed up IRS records because they were they were full of image. They were real. They were genuine. They kind of were, like, were everything that IRS represented. You know, they were they yeah. were they were they were thumbing their nose at the establishment and everything, including me. And tell us more about that, because, I, you know, I think when we think of, um, you know, someone starting a record label and a, a label starting, you know, there's the, the big executive chair and that sort of thing. And sort of the, the myth of someone being hands off. Well, it's, it's a bunch of, uh, you know, deputies delegating everything. But you were there, you know, for one, tell us about just the physical, the, 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 what it took to create the physical infrastructure of IRS records. And then two, this idea that not only are you running it, but you're, you're in there with the bands. I mean, you know, all the way, it's not just like well, a hands-off thing. Well, remember, I mean, it was at a period where everybody thought the groups were a joke, you know, 
So if I didn't get in there with my hands, get my hands dirty, no one would have paid attention, you know? Yeah. So I had to kind of do it. And also I didn't have a lot of money, you know, because um, I couldn't afford to have a bunch of underlings, you know? And so I was hiring, you know, I mean, the first guy I gave a job to, I hired at a hundred bucks a week, you know, and the only way I could entice him to the company was to say, well, you know, I can't pay you a big salary, so I'll make you vice president. You know, the, the head of radio was one of the, you know, was a young kid who had never really done very much, you know. And, and I was hiring people basically because I just thought, well, they can do it. And the fact that they've got no credentials or credits, you know, so what? You know, at least I can afford them, you know. Right. So, so uh, I was sort of forced to be hands on because. I didn't have the luxury of being able to hire big executives who knew what they were doing, you know? Mm. And the reality was, is a lot of the bands were dismissed by the, those sort of executives anyway. So, you know, if I'd hired people like that, they would have dismissed those bands too. So I, I basically was, was stuck hiring young kids who were enthusiastic. So I bought enthusiasm over uh, credits mm. and I, turned out to be a wise choice right you, taking a band uh like you two you two nowadays if, if you read online which you really shouldn't the comment section um people just seem to blast you two for their politics being too preachy that kind of thing was there ever a point with with you know with your stable of bands that I, I know the police had some songs that were political but they were very um subtle they didn't they didn't force it you know um as much as as you two did and now i think you two is kind of paying for that is that something you always tried to steer bands away from no i think you know it, it, the more they have to say the better but i think the reason that you two is might be getting some you know people some 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 you know backlash is that they're so big you know so it's always you know I, in, in England, it used to be a joke. You know you've made it when the big music papers start, you know, slamming you and saying you're crap. You know, that's only then you know you've made it. You know, yeah. so they're they, they they treat you great when you're a nobody. When you're a somebody, they basically treat you like crap. You know, <laughs> and you know there's an old joke about managers. You know, say well, when when you sign a band, you know you're a hero. You know, you're you're you can walk on water. When the band is successful, you're the janitor. <laughs> well, <laughs> in a way, the reverse is true of a, of a band, you know. So once they get to be very big, it's it it the pre it's easier for the press to say, well, you know, to start slamming them because that it makes good good press, you know. Yeah, it it takes a lot. I mean, it must have just the the from the read I I did, you know, of, of your work. It it, it took so much, uh, not just. I mean, there's the financial, you know, as as the money kind of came into the industry, there's the, the financial risk, but it just took so much in terms of the, the credibility on the label to for a band to to take off. And I wonder, you know, you compare that to today where it seems like, and I'm not knocking artists today, but it seems like artists kind of fly out of nowhere, you know, or someone has a, a tape, not even a mixtape, but something they put together on YouTube and boom, you know, but it just to me seems like such, such a juxtaposition between where things are today and then the risk that you had to take uh, to take a band under your wing to invest in them to to hope it worked. I mean, it's mind blowing, you know, for me to think about that well, sort of balance. I, but, I, but I still had to rely on the act, you know, right. to come through, you know, 
because the reality was that I, if if I just decided, okay, I'm going to make you a big act and to press a button and they're going to be big. No. I mean, I looked upon my role as the guy that would find the door and open the door, but it was the act that would walk through the door. Right. And the acts that would walk through the door were the ones that succeeded. The ones that were hesitant and were thinking like, oh, what are my friends going to think? Or is this really the right door? Uh, maybe I shouldn't go through the door or, you know, they, they had all these reasons why they shouldn't do it. And basically you kind of lost interest in groups like that, you know. Um, I mean, people like Jules Holland, you know, you could open a door and the guy would say, well, if you think it works, I'm going through, bang, and he goes. Same yeah. with Sting and the police, you know, uh, the Go-Go's, you know. But there were bands that were very talented and, and, and that, were, that were hesitant, you know, that would, that would resist, you know, or that, that would follow rules that didn't really apply, you know. I mean, I used the, the analogy of Pat McDonald in there that, you know, I was offered a fortune you know, by Reebok and later Ford Motor Company for a song he wrote called The Future So Bright, I Gotta Wear Shades. Yeah. I mean, what a perfect song for Ray-Ban, right? Yeah, yeah. And you think, you know, Ray-Ban would make a brilliant commercial and that song would be, you know, it would be a huge hit, you know. And when they offered me, the, you know, this ton of money, I called up Pat McDonald and I said, who wrote the song, you know, from Timbuk3. And I said, Pat, good news. You can go buy a house. <laughs> I got you a lot of money. I'm going to send you a big check. And he said, well, what's it for? And I said, well, you know, you know, uh, Rayman is going to, you know, make, make the big commercial where your, you know, futures are bright. I got to wear shades. It's perfect for, for sunglasses, you know? And he just freaked out and, oh, please don't do it. Don't sell my soul, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up as stupidly, agreeing that I wouldn't sell the song for him, you know, because he felt that it was his baby and that he didn't want it to be commercialized. And he thought that was selling out. And, you know, I think we proved years later with Desert Rose with Sting. No, it wasn't selling out. Sometimes those commercial operations can really help a record happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's just the reality is, is, is that the rule was at the time, you don't let your song go for a commercial, you know? But for, for me, a lot of those bands and, you know, that I could get involved with them because they no one was really interested. Therefore, the money was really low. Mm. So the fact that I didn't have a lot of money to start a record label didn't really matter. And I used the AM infrastructure and it was really a matter of just talking people into stuff, you know. And a lot of times, you know, it was tough talking them into it, you know. But eventually they would look at the radio charts and somebody would get into it and we would fan the flames a little bit. And then they would, they would say, well, there's a bit of smoke there, so let's chase it. And then, you know, turn into a little bit of fire, you know? So the object was not only to make the band happen, but to get the, the infrastructure to support them to happen, uh, get them behind it as well. And that was sometimes more difficult than we would have liked. You know, when Iris moved to MCA records, we had a harder time getting the label, you know, the people at MCA interested in artists than we did at AM, you know, and that was mm. just one of the rules, one of the lessons we learned. Besides uh, Mr. McDonald's song and Star Truck in 75, uh, some of the things you mentioned in the book, do you have any regrets, uh, major regrets um, that you didn't share in the book? 
Well, you know, I, I wrote a lot of stuff and, and, and in the end, I, I filtered out stuff that really didn't really make a lot of sense, you know. So I put in everything that I think there, there's a lesson in or there's interest in. And some things I put in simply because they, they were so kind of wacky. I mean, Steven's working with Steven Seagal, you know, um, working with the Jenna torturers, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, one of my regrets was that I never, I didn't end up managing. Well, I, I managed, uh, you know, Duran Duran for a month, for a couple of weeks until I just couldn't lie enough, you know, and they decided I wasn't the right guy. And I tore the, the contract up and, so I, I regret because I really like Duran Duran. I like the guys and I like the music, you know. But uh, so if I had any regret, that's one of them. The other regret I, I have, somebody asked me the other day, you know, was there an act you wanted to sign that you didn't? And there is one, actually. Yes. I, I was a big fan of the B-52s. Okay. And I wanted to have luck. And I had offered for our Rock Lobster. But I then went off the squeeze. with, And by the time I went off, got off of tour, the tour, and called up again the B-52s, uh, then um, the price had gone up, basically. Mm. They now had a manager, and they were, they were, you know. Yeah. So I had to go to Jerry Moss and say, I want to sign the B-52s, but I don't have the money. Would you help? And I'll, you know, give A&M part of the action and this and that. Because I needed his money, Jerry had the right to hear the music. Right. So I played the music to him. And in the end, he just turned it down. He said, well, it sounds like a college band and I'm not interested. So I, I basically never got the money to sign the B-52s and didn't sign them, you know. Mm. Uh, and he was right. They were a college band, but that was what made them, you know. Um, they had a sense of humor. They were they were great live. They they worked, you know, but it was one of those bands that I didn't sign, you know. The other, the other disappointment I, ha I actually mentioned in the book was Jello Biafra and Dead Kennedys, who I was supposed to put to IRS records, but I couldn't because of the name, the Dead Kennedys. And, and Jerry Moss had been very close to the Kennedy family and, and had pleaded with me not to put the group on IRS records, which was mm. associated with A&M. Yeah. But uh, I had a lot of, you know, I, I, I felt bad for Jello because I had made him promises I couldn't keep. I was wondering too, um, where was uh, where's your relationship with uh, Sting today, and just kind of your thoughts on uh, when he went solo, what that whole experience was like? As it was, uh, I mean, it, it was a huge moment, obviously for everybody. Well, Sting, remember, you know, he had written all the big police hits. He was the front man. He was the vocalist. Uh, there were only three members of the group, so you know, he was he was. And to all intents and purposes, a lot of what the police were, you know. So when he went solo, it wasn't like a Mick Jagger who left, you know, a five-piece group of which he was certainly the front guy, but he didn't write all the songs hmm. totally himself. He had help with other members of the band, you know. Uh, and, you know, Sting, Sting had a lot going for him. You know, he had the look, he had everything, basically. And he was very careful to get very very you know respectable musicians to join him and there was a respect level that that uh, uh he seemed to have and we we played on that you know and so the first album was kind of a jazzy album and you know did very well and got a lot of respect so he always was very good at um developing i guess respect among 
places where respect counted. You know, he if it, you know, when when a charity would happen, you know, they would always think about, oh, well, let's get Sting involved. You know, mm. um, the same with Bono and you too, really, and in, in the early days, you know. So the the three guys you would call would be Sting, Bono, and Bruce Springsteen. You know, for different reasons, maybe, but you know, for a charity support, you know, supporting because they were known to be sort of political, but not too negatively political you know they weren't backing a political party or whatever you know yeah um but basically um you know i think sting going solo was a bit of a risk but it wasn't as big a risk as as people sort of might imagine because you know he really was a lot of what the police were you know uh if he if he had written the songs or if he was just the singer maybe it would have been different but he he was quite important as to my relationship with him today uh, you know, I think both of us have moved on. And uh, if I ran into him tomorrow, I'm sure we'd, you know, if I bumped into him in a restaurant, I'm sure we'd be sit there talking for hours going over old times. But basically, you know, I, I'm doing what I do and he does what he does. And um, I don't really see him very much. Gotcha. Your brother, Stuart, um, is widely known as probably one of the best drummers in the world. Um, rock drummers in the world, jazz drum, whatever. Uh, was there ever a point where, when you were growing up with him and he's playing in your house, <laughs> um, that you mm. realized how ridiculously good he was? <laughs> no, it, it never really occurred to me, you know, because yeah. I mean, he started life really, there was nobody else to play with, so he was basically a solo drummer. So, <laughs> if, if you really analyze Stewart's drumming, is, is that he he uh it took him a long time to leave space for anybody else to do anything you know and i think that was probably one of the problems with sting you know sting was want to say hey cool it right there i've got to i gotta fit my voice in you know where Stuart was busy soloing you know and uh i think it took a while for him to kind of settle down and and realize that you know there are other people in the band that need to have have something to say you know the singer the bass player the you know it's not just the soul drumming yeah but i didn't you know i mean i don't i didn't really think about it at the time you know i mean in in the beginning with the police you know i mean hell the whole band was this nobody considered sting any good either they all thought he right. was you know so uh, the reality was that uh you know as they got bigger people began to pay attention and notice how good everybody was you know and that would that would go for me too remember when I started in, in 76, 77, I was considered a joke as well. You know, people said, oh, Miles Copeland, he's lost all his money on a Star Trek tour and he's over, you know, and this punk thing is a lot of crap, you know, and what's Miles doing wasting his time with all those punks, you know? Well, a few years later, they realized that I wasn't wasting my time, but, but yeah. at the beginning, you know, in 76, 77, early 77, they could easily say, well, you're wasting your time. Yeah, it's 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 just I love how um, you know just uh, how how that changes how the the when the kids realize there's something hot and and it blows up. I mean, at the time and and then you you know the critics realized they were wrong. I mean, I I can only imagine what that must have felt. Um, but you also have to keep going and and work on other you know do the next thing too. You know, so you can't get 
too caught up in is that that's the one thing we've we found in talking to musicians on the show is that you know when they've had success with something um you know they don't just stay there that you, you have to keep growing you have to keep moving and it sounds like you've done the same thing too as a as a business person uh, on the music side of things well you know i i think that, that one of the things i've noticed in in the business is that is when a band becomes successful they 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 it's it's becomes pretty easy to think you're always going to be successful from that point on yeah so you'll see a lot of bands you know they get to be big and then they break up and then all of a sudden oops they're not doing so well. And then they reform, you know, to, to rediscover what it was that they really had when they were really big, you know. Um, and I think a lot of businesses do that. They just assume that you can go from one to another. I mean, Sting going solo and doing very well was relatively rare. You know, Mick Jagger went solo from the, the Rolling Stones, did not do that well, you know. Because <laughs> Keith uh, Rhymes <laughs> left the, you know, Rod Stewart left the faces, did very well, you know. Uh, there were there were singers who've left and kind of disappeared, you know, um, and uh, that's just the reality. But it is very easy to to forget that becoming successful is not so easy and that once you've got it, you, know, you got to figure out how to keep it, you know, and that's that that becomes a job in itself, you know. Yeah. As you said in the book. Uh, as David Gilmore told you, uh, a band is greater than the sum of its parts. Is there any chance in your mind that the police are ever going to hit the studio again, or is that ship just sailed? I think it sailed really because, in a way, it's like been there, done that. You know, I mean, it, the only reason to do it would be because the money's there. You know. And you, you, I, I don't imagine any of the three guys would want to really admit that, well, we were going to do it because we wanted the money, you know, right. that's sort of anti that, that's sort of antithetical to the whole idea of rock and roll, you know, it, you know, it's like the Grateful Dead, you know, would you, would you like to think that Jerry Garcia was, was, was counting dollars behind the stage, you know, it, it would, it would burst the myth, you know, right. You would see what Gary Garcia has got satchels of dollar bills and hundred dollars and billions of dollars. No, you think, well, gee, you know, <laughs> I mean, a lot of people don't, don't like uh, the Amazon, you know, people because they, you know, Be Jeff Bezos, because he's got so much money, you know? Right. So, you know, the reality is, is that a lot of the myth of rock and roll is that you don't care about money, which was, you know, the sort of the, the, the thing Pat McDonald was on about with don't take the money for future so bright, you know. And when we when I met Jerry Garcia, you know, his whole thing was. It was he was very much about the people on the surface, you mm. know, whether or not underneath. I mean, I don't know whether he owned airplanes and houses and God knows what. I don't know. But he certainly didn't boast about it. He seemed to be, you know, that money didn't really matter. But the fact is, the Grateful Dead were a huge money-making machine. Oh, you know? yeah. yeah. Like a one-band festival, really. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, some people were, you know, like, a, like, um, you know, Kiss. It's about, they're happy to say it's about the money. You right. Know? <laughs> uh, because, because that's sort of like, well, it's, it's part of the humor, you know. Right. Uh, they're making a lot of money on their merchandise, you know. Uh, Gene Simmons is, you know, he keeps joking about how much money they're making, you know, and you kind of, you kind of want to say, well, good on you because I never really was a big fan of the music, but 
I'm a big fan of what he's done, you know, and yeah. what the band has done, you know, whereas the Grateful Dead, you know, they, their whole rap was, you know, we're not doing it for the money. They would let everybody record the music, you know. Well, of course, when I spoke to them, they said, well, look, I mean, we're not really giving anything away because we can't sell records anyway. <laughs> right. Who the hell's going to buy? Who the hell's going to buy record 25 of the Grateful Dead? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... um. But well, then Touch of Grey, I think, was, was that sort of like a fluke, you know, when that went big, or is that? Because I think that was their big one, right? Um, in the eighties, well, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, but that was late. The yeah. point is, you know, most people yeah. that you know, you'll do a, you know, you'll buy a one or two or three albums, you know. But by the time you get to the fifth, sixth, seventh, I mean, you know, I mean, the yeah. Grateful Dead were going on forever. I mean, imagine, you know, all right, I got album one through ten. I'm going to, I can't wait to get an album 11. Right. You right. Know, you're thinking, well, <laughs> what new is going to be there? You know, it's not like they added a whole bunch of different musicians and did whole different stuff. It's like, well, you know, I, I got the first bunch of records. That's good enough for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The Miles of Police released uh, their two concerts from that live disc, uh, the Boston show and the Synchronicity tour recently as Record Store Day releases on vinyl. Um, and they're, they were like hotcakes. Um, I just saw the movie Summer of Soul. I don't know if you saw Summer of Soul, uh, from the unearthed tapes of the Harlem Festival in 1969. It's some of the most incredible performances I've ever seen. It was sitting in somebody's basement. Um, are there tapes of, of the police around that, uh, nobody's ever seen and maybe someday we'll see the light of day? Live, live well, shows. I filmed a lot of stuff myself, and so did Stuart. Mm. But uh, I, I have to then go digitize and find them and this and that because I, I uh, when the police went on tour, we did film. Stuart, Stuart did do, do a few films, you know, but there's no recordings and new songs and this and that. So nobody's going to find new songs. But you know, some behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, there, there's there's footage still around, you know. But uh, unfortunately, you're not going to discover a, a cache of right. you know, 20 new Sting songs, you know. Right. How much footage, though? We'd love to. I mean, how much? Uh, I think fans would take well, anything. Well, I've got they can... tons of stuff that I filmed whenever we went. You know, I was on my little digital camera, you know, and Stewart's got stuff and Andy Summers was taking photographs. Sting was not a particularly big photo guy, you know, mm. but Stuart was. I was. And, you know, sort of filming stuff for posterity. Yeah. But then is you know, you have to actually go spend the time to filter through it, you know. Right. Well, what was it like working with uh, Godley and Cream? Because we had um, we had uh, Kevin Godley on and he, of course, he talked about the, the early days of the, the, the some of the long shots he used. That was kind of his style for, you know, every breath you take. And, and I think wrapped around your finger. I mean, what was uh, what was it like? What, what were your thoughts on working with those guys? Uh, you know, did did Sting in the I, I assume everyone uh, was happy with the results, obviously. Well, they were always interested in trying something new, which we, you know, we were happy to do, you know, our whole vibe was, you know, don't do it like other people do it, you know, and it was also at a time when MTV was starting and MTV was another institution in which people just objected, you know, to, and they had a hard time getting anybody, getting anybody to give him product. You know, I was only too happy to give him product because they would play it, you know? So yeah. I would say, well, gee they'll play irs records they'll play the police they're my new best friend give them the <laughs> stuff you know um whereas a lot of the big labels would go well you know we want money for you know 
this and that, you know. So it took time for, for, for MTV to get people to pay attention and give them stuff, you know. But the police were always um, game to try stuff out. Um, you know, when I, when I suggested uh, that we film the documentary of the police in Montserrat, you know, and I wanted a host who was different. And I said, well, I know a perfect guy. He's a musician and he's, he's a character. And, you know, he happens to be the keyboard player in Squeeze. Mm. And, uh, you know, I put Jules Holland up, you know. And, of course, the BBC said, well, why don't you use one of our presenters, you know, who, who knows the ropes? And I said, well, no. If you want the police, you get Jules Holland, you know. Right. And lo and behold, they finally consented. We do the show. And Jules does great. And next thing we know that, you know, we, we got offers from Channel 4 to have him host the, the tube of Paulie Yates. And he's now become the biggest, you know, music presenter in England. You know, he, he's an OBE, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Wow. You know, so, so uh, we always were looking for people to do things in a unique, different way. And Godly and Cream were, were some of those guys that were... They were they were thinking of new different ways to do things, and that was always appealing to us. Wow, and we, we yeah, certainly love the results. I mean, we're grateful <laughs> for everything that you, everyone involved yeah. has done. Yeah, that's all. Awesome. Uh, uh, Miles, a movie that changed my life as a kid. Um, I saw it on, uh, I think it was Night Flight, Erg, A Music War. Um, probably one of the most important movies. Uh, growing up for me because all those bands I've followed and it got me into that, that, that type of music. Is there, um, I've read a ton of articles about this over the years. You talked about in the book a bit, um, the film rights, every, every, it always comes back to you. Is there ever a chance that that will get a legitimate release for, uh, those hard the problem is, is that you've got so many fingers in the pie the bands object, you know, they want something. The publisher objects. They say, well, it's our song and the record company, you know. So it's one of those things where there's just so many right, rights issues that to try to filter through them all. And, you know, by the time you, you, it would wear you out, it would take a, take a team of lawyers months to figure out who owns what and, and who's going to grant rights to what and whatever. So it is difficult. So there's been sort of bootleg copies of it and it, it's filtered around. But, um, you know, it was a fun project to make. But the reality was that that even the guy that made it isn't around anymore. Yeah. You know, so a lot of people don't even know who has the rights. And so I was, you know, I've had people come to me and say, well, do you have the rights? And I say, well, yes, I own some of the rights, but I can't say I own all of them. Right. Mm. It's the bootlegging alone has uh, I'm sure it's been it's drawn the ire of, of, you know, folks in the business over the years. And, you know, and, and it seems like as the technology gets, you know, more it gets better. There's just there's more and more of that stuff popping up. I mean, right, Shane, we well, what yeah. was the one thing the Black Sabbath, uh, the song Slapback was it uh, wasn't that a bootleg or something that got leaked and yeah, they took it down songs and just pop up out yeah, of nowhere. And, yeah. And Tony, Tony was all pissed off about it. Um, I guess it was a Ronnie James Dio era track yeah. that popped up uh, just on the internet yeah. recently for like a day and then it went away. But of course, everybody copies it, you know, but. Well, you know, these days, you know, once, once it's out, it's out, you know, right. and that, that's just the reality of it, you know? So, um, 
I mean, that's one, 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 when I wrote the book, you know, I mean, I, I, part of, part of the motivation was to correct some, you know, things that were said that keep getting repeated, but aren't true, you know? Right. Um, I mean, I remember some journalists saying to me, you know, well, uh, the police, uh, tell me about the show they did in Bangkok. And I said, well, actually we didn't do a show in Bangkok because things voice went and we had to cancel the show. Right. And the journalist said, well, uh, if I if I don't mention the Bangkok show, I'm going to look like I didn't do research and uh, uh, I'm going to that I've got it wrong. You know, and I said, look, we didn't do the damn show. It never happened. It didn't exist. I got the book. And guess what? what? The Bangkok show was in there. Oh, my God. You know, wow. you could not convince him, you know, that that, uh, you yeah. know. He had to put it in because he didn't want to look bad to other, you know, people who were writing about the police. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I have people talk about you know, one of the other things I, I found is that people want to say they were connected to something that they weren't, you know, or they, you know, I remember, you know, people say, well, you know, you co-founded IRS records. And I would go, well, like, what do you, I have several people who co-founded IRS records, apparently, you know, and I will wait a minute. I founded the record label. It was an extension of what I was doing in England. Right. The guy that they say I co-founded with, I hired. He was an employee, for Christ's sake. You know, <laughs> I made him vice president. Some people now say he was president. Well, he wasn't. You right. Know? And I'm saying, well, so what? But he helped me build the label, you know. And without him, it wouldn't have been the same. And without a lot of the people at the label, it wouldn't have been the same, you know. Without Michael Plan, the radio guy who broke the Go-Go's. Yeah, I don't yeah. think IRS would have been the same, you know. Michael Plen was a key player, you know. Jay Boberg was a key player, but to be a founder, on, but but to try to correct people, you know. So I'll read it, you know. Once it's in Wikipedia, right. it's a fact. Yeah, you know, there's so yeah, much that's wrong. Yeah, I hate yeah. Wikipedia. Yeah, you can almost go through line by line. Is this true? Is this not true? Is this? <laughs> Um, speaking of IRS, I, I just had a few more questions if you had time. I, I think we both just had a, a couple more. Um, uh, I know like some IRS records aren't on, maybe it's just a Black Sabbath thing, but there's been kind of a movement to get some of the, the Black Sabbath, the IRS records on uh, like the streaming services. Is that something, is that more of a band thing, I guess, or do not uh, know if you well, have, have any insight? I've, I sold IRS records. Right. Okay. And right. so a lot of the product we've sold or reverted, you know, some of the deals we made, you know, one of the facts of IRS records was when we started, nobody paid attention to us. And so they, you know, we was easy, you know. Yeah. Later on, when we were successful, we started having competition. Uh, we had to start hiring more people, you know. And so we ended up with like 50 employees, you know. Mm. And, you know, we had office rent to pay and we had, uh, you know, lawyers to pay. We had, you know, we were a real company, you know. Right. So a lot of the things that we kind of objected to or we never had to really deal with when we were a young label where nobody paid attention to us and took us seriously, all of a sudden people took us seriously, you know. So, you know, you have some employee who's been with you for five years and he says, well, I need a raise. You say, well, fuck off. No, goodbye. No, you have to say, well, you know, you have to deal with it. You know, you have to pay the rent, you know. Right. So a lot of the things that you object to, you objected to in the beginning, you're faced with having to do later on, you know, 10 years later after your label has begun successful. Yeah. And that was one of the stories that I really wanted to make sure people understood is that, you know, we, we sometimes we signed artists later on 
simply because we needed we we figured that okay that'll put numbers on the table and help pay a rent you know right so in the early days we signed what we liked in the last part we signed stuff not only that we liked but stuff that we thought might help pay the bills yeah you yeah. know so you're forced to do things that you you know you're not necessarily a hundred percent behind aesthetically gotcha yeah, yeah i remember sense. seeing the black sabbath stuff show up on irs and being a a heavy irs collector i was like what <laughs> yeah I, I, what, how did that all is that is that kind of how that came about with them with tony yeah i mean guys? part part of it is you know they're they're they, the, they had gotten older, you know, Ozzy Osbourne had gone left. Uh, there was still interest in them. Uh, Tony Iommi was still doing interesting stuff. The price was right. We needed product. We needed to get something that were, you know, the name, you know, it's going to sell something, you know? Yeah. So, you know, we did sign artists that I would not, I mean, it, if you had said to me in 1980, that I was going to sign Black Sabbath, I would have said, well, you're crazy. <laughs> um, because Black Sabbath was not the kind of band that IRS was signing in 1979, 1980, right. 81, you know. Uh, it was, but, but later on in life, you know, when you're looking to put numbers on the table, uh, you're, you're going to be a little bit more lenient in terms of, you know, what's, what's interesting to you. Also, time has changed. You know, you're, you're, the the punk rock new wave movement had, had incorporated all sorts of other things it wasn't so precious anymore it was a bit different so there was there was a bit more latitude you know in in terms of what you were signing but a lot of what we had to do was was forced upon us you know we, when we sold to emi and we i was brought in you know every year we'd have this convention and they would say okay what numbers you're putting on the table here you know and you'd have to come up with the list of acts that you say, well, I got this, 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 and this, you know? Yeah. And they would, you'd have to convince them that you were going to sell the numbers. And then they would say, well, if you don't make those numbers, you don't get your Christmas bonus. So it's like, well, Oh, what's more important, you know, having acts that you totally believe in and, or is it getting the Christmas bonus, you know? And, and what am I employed? My employees want their Christmas bonus too, you know? Yeah. So things do change as time goes on. And that's, that's, that's one of the, the dramas of, of being a revolutionary, you know, in the end you become, it's like, you know, um, Joe Strummer once said to me from the class, he said, you know, one day we're going to be the establishment. He understood that you yeah. can be a rebel day one, but one day, you know, and, and then, you know, you go through, you know, Che Guevara and and uh, a lot of the you know leaders who became heads of the of the of state, they then had to adopt a lot of the policies that they had objected to, which got them there in the first place. Right. Yeah. Because now they're having to face the reality that you know, well, that's how you do things. You know. Yeah. Well, it, it's certainly there's been you know as much as times will change for like say the Sabbath thing and going in different directions. I mean, you know, those records, I think are, uh, there's a lot of fans, including myself who adore those records. And so it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny how time, you know, makes those things even more precious, you know, I think uh, to the fans. Yeah, well, we, we always tried to make good records, you know, yeah. e even though we signed artists that we were not necessarily were, we would consider IRS artists of the old days, you know, right. But, you know, we, we like those those Black Sabbath albums and we, we were encouraging them to 
to, you know, make, make good records. You know, we still thought they had something to say, you know. But one of the problems of those older artists is that they internally kept imagining they would have a number one record again, mm-hmm. you know. And the reality is, you know, 10 years on, even for Sting, you know, it's just very hard for a guy that's, you know, well over 50 to have another record that's going to be number one because right. it's a it's a young person's game, you know. So when Tony Iommi, you know, imagines his record's going to be a number one record, you know, hey, Tony, that was that was 15 years ago, you know. Right. Well, nobody really likes to hear that. Yeah. And when I, I worked with, you know, people like, you know, Steppenwolf and, and whatever, you know, and we would set up interviews for them, you know, and uh, they would go to the interview to sell the new record. But of course, what record would get played? Born to be right. wild. So <laughs> right, all of a right. sudden, yeah. they would go back to the record that they were most known for, which was released, you know, 20 years earlier, you know. Yeah. And so we had we had a lot of acts that would really object to being played on classic rock. Well, we're not classic rock. We're, mo- you know, we're new and modern, you know. Yeah. Well, no. Yeah, unfortunately, you're considered classic rock and they're going to play the old the old song, you know, and that was one of the dramas we had later on when we were signing some of these more established acts, you know, mm. is that the the media and everything kept playing the old stuff because they just assumed that's what people wanted. Right. Well, it's, you know, you go to a police concert today and what do people yell for? They yell for Roxanne and Walking right. on the Moon. They're not yelling for the new song that you know, it came out, you know, they, they're, they're yelling for the stuff they know. Yeah. Like every, every legacy band, well, they probably even hate that term legacy. band. <laughs> but some of these bands, I think they, uh, they experience that. And it's, it's gotta be frustrating. I think journey calls it the dirty dozen. You're going to get your wheel in the sky. You're going to get your don't stop believing all of those. And, and that's a sad, I mean, that's a show <laughs> pretty much. I mean, I'm sure when sting walks on stage and it comes to Roxanne, it's like, Oh God, how many, well, how many, how many times is this, you yeah. know, 10,500. Oh my God. You know, <laughs> just turn the mic. How many the times has he sang that song? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, the reality is that, you know, at, at some point they want to change the song. You know, of course the audience wants to hear the way it was done 30 years ago. Right. Yeah. I, if there's one record that you put out, I hate these questions, but I just figured I'll ask it. Uh, and you're on a desert island, what, what would that record be? Well, I, I have to admit that I would, I have difficulty in answering that question because it really depends on the mood I'm in, you know? Right. I mean, I, I really liked a lot of the Middle Eastern stuff I did with Shep Mami and Khaled and all that. Uh, I, I looked upon Clandestino with Manu Chow as one of the great records of all time. Uh, the Wall of Voodoo, Best Of, Grandma's House, just the okay. sense of humor and the songs and the difference, you know, that was just a great record. Um, you know, so I've got a selection of stuff that I would say, well, I don't think I could nar- narrow it down. You know, William Orbit, the strange cargo records from William Orbit, who became a super producer, you know, and I gave him his first producing job. So I, 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 I feel very strongly about William Orbit, Wall of Voodoo, you know, uh, I put the Lords of the New Church together. So I, I kind of, I fan I fancy Brian James. I like Brian what Brian James was doing, you know, and yeah, and you know, so I, 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 the cramps. How do you not forget the cramps? You know, it's like, you know, I'd be at a desert island. I'd be going like, well, I, 
I don't know what I would choose. You know, I, I would give me, give me 20 records and maybe I'd be happy, but I don't, I don't think I could, yeah. I don't think I could narrow it down to one single record because I would say, well, that means I'm going to be in one type of mood, you know? Yeah. But I mean, the records that I play now, I would, I would say, you know, anything from Shep Mami, William Orbit, uh, Wall of Voodoo, okay. uh, Clint, you know, Manu Chow, The Police, um it's great stuff you know, some of the records yeah. that i hear a lot like the go-go's or or the bangles whatever i probably wouldn't because i hear them every day on the radio you know right. it's like yeah. um so i'm just thinking like well I, I hear them on the radio anyway so much so um I, I don't know that i would choose those records but if i was sitting there you know 20 years from now i might choose them you know yeah, because they they bring back great memories. I mean, when I watched the Go Go's documentary, I mean, there were things I learned in there I didn't know at the time, you know. But it, they brought back great memories, you know. And and I'm sure would it, that would happen with any of the bands that I worked with. What do you like today? Uh, and last question that I that I had at least. I mean, what 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 do you like today in terms of newer music, newer bands? Uh, you know, were uh, of various genres. Well, you know, I. I <laughs> I'm more of an internationalist. I mean, okay, uh, and and I, I probably get the titles wrong, whatever. But the, I think the last one I really just loved was that stuff that was the reggaeton stuff coming out of you know the Esposito was it called? Oh it yeah, was, yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, I heard that song on the radio here in France, you know, where I am at the moment. I was thinking, wow, that's a brilliant song. Well, of course, it became the biggest record I think ever, or something, you know. But I I don't know. I I I. I still listen to some rye stuff, you know, that, but yep. I don't listen to a lot of music anymore, you know, okay. uh, um, in a way I kind of shun listening to music. You know, if there's music, if I go to a restaurant and there's some poor little band play, I make sure I'm at, I'm at the far end of the restaurant where I can't hear it. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, you've done that already. Oh, yeah. Do I have to be, you know, but every yeah. now and then I hear something I really like and, yeah. and, uh, you know, but, uh, uh, I, I, I've been there, done that. Gotcha. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> you, think, you think you would assign somebody like Billie Eilish and her brother? You, you never think know. That's too pop, too poppy. Yeah. No, I, 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 I don't listen to, you know, my, yeah. my son, my, my sons, I would listen to what they listen to and say, well, yeah. You know, it works or what, but they're all into hip hop and God knows what, you know, so yeah, and they, they, I, they, they probably look upon what I like is, is the same way I looked upon what my father liked, you know, yeah. he was a jazz guy, you know, and I didn't really like a lot of his stuff, you know, until much later. Mm. And uh, my sons probably feel the same about my stuff, you know. Yeah. Well, thank you for all the bands, Miles. Uh, yes. Good to talk to you all day. We're grateful for every, every, for your creative ears and, and, and creative mind and innovation and, and everything. We are truly grateful. Well, you know, if you ever think of anything you forgot to ask or you want to talk some more, I'm always happy to talk. Thank, Thank you, you so sir. much, sir. Thank uh, you. Boingo, Boingo, Buzzcocks, Cramps, Alarm, REM. Yep. Dead Kennedys and Police, everything. Yeah. All of it. Talking Rock <laughs> with David Shade. Yeah. Hey. I like yes. All right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Dave. It's hard to believe that, that this gentleman got a D in music in college. In, insane, right? You know, <laughs> which which is like just poetic because he would, you know, run circles around 
whatever that teacher's expectations probably were, you know, right? I mean, anyways. Yeah. Phenomenal taste. Uh, yeah. The fact, just the fact that he was he was on the the Sex Pistols tour uh, with the, with the Pistols alone, like mm-hmm. that that alone is just that's all you need on your resume. You're just such an innovator, right? I mean, just everything, man. Yeah, just so there's some there. Uh, there's some also some really great stories in the book about. Uh, I didn't talk about this up front. But uh, Marky Smith in the fall, Marky, Marky Smith recently died mm-hmm. um, within the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a singer and songwriter for the band The Fall. Fall was probably one of the, the most in- influential Manchester bands. Uh, I would say out of all the indie bands that are out right now, mm-hmm. I, <clears throat> seven out of 10 of them are trying to sound like The Fall, at least, at least musically. Nobody could sound like Marky Smith on vocals. Mm-hmm. But um, the stories in the book about illegal records and uh, the first two fall records for me was like that was holy grail material. Yeah, he he just was there at the right time. Capturing all, yeah, capturing it all, yeah. He committed to it when a lot of other people were like, you know, Mm -hmm. what's this crap, right? Yeah, and he admits that, and he's like, you know, and and he just kept focused on the next thing. Like when one band got big, he just kept going, you know, which is what you have to do, you know. Change is a good thing. Yeah, but so insightful. I mean, man, oh man, like, because you you forget like there was a time when all these bands started out like just regular jammer, regular rockers, just regular people trying to make it, and then boom, and you know, to go from that point to legendary status, status or status is just wild, man. Yeah. And again, dude, we did not have. You're gone. Uh, you disappeared. I'm gone. Oops. The car turned me off. Ah. Hang on. The we did not have back then. Um, <laughs> <you know. laughs> Sorry. Hey, the washer fluid level is very low in this car. Dave, we did we did not have um, the information that we have now. Um, when it came to researching bands and a lot of right. a lot of us growing up bought records based on the labels that they were on mm. you knew that you could walk into a store in 1982 1983 1984 and if something was on irs records you had a really good chance of it being excellent right you know based mm-hmm. on the track record of the label now there's always some some crappy releases on every label but the same thing was with you know with warner brothers you know if you saw like ted templeman produced it more yeah. than likely it was it was going to be worth worth your money mm-hmm. but um yeah it was it's not like today where you can just hop on spotify and just start zipping around and i want to hear this 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 and this it was not yeah. like that yeah it's and, yeah and which that's, is go ahead and that's that they were they were a cornerstone label for 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 people that were lurking for post punk and punk music mm. back in the eighties. That's awesome. Like they they knew there was a market there and just they were able to supply it, man. Yeah, it's great. And uh, yeah, and and that's the thing. Like today, so many people don't don't know. To your point, like you know you. You can't just, you know, now, like, yeah, everything's in one place, but, it, you know, nobody ever dreamed of that back then, right? You know, you, you were loyal to your label. The label was loyal to you, you know, right? 
Yep. Yeah. Just, just the. He could have just had REM again, right. you know, or just had Squeeze or something like that. I mean, they mm-hmm. Squeeze Squeeze wasn't on his label, but the first album was. But they went to A and M. That was Herb Al- Herb Albert and Jerry Moss's label that he worked for. Okay. Which there were also some great stories about Jerry Moss. May he rest in peace. Um, in the book as well. So mm-hmm. great read. Yeah, man. Yeah, I gotta. I want to go back and, and uh, read it again because it was just like there's just yeah, so much. Just, there's so much yeah. stuff. So many goodies in there. It's great. Yeah. It's like it's one awesome. chapter was like that's good enough for a life right there. But right, you know, there's 40 other chapters. So yeah. Just kept going. It's amazing. Yeah. It was like it was like two books in one, really. If is what it felt like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Just but, a great time, great, great, great time for the book to come out as well. Like yeah. all, a lot of these guys were holed up <laughs> the last <laughs> last two years, and we're getting a lot of good books out of this. Yeah. Crap. You know, that's if there's one positive. <laughs> yeah, we had we Steve Hackett's book. Yeah, Steve Hackett's book. Yeah. Uh, we had Brian Wheat's book. I mean, there's so many others. Been great, man. So cool. Good stuff, bro. Yeah, man. Well, Miles Copeland, uh, thank you, sir. And uh, yeah, we can't wait to talk again, man. Because uh, and if especially if there's so much more material, I'm sure you know he might be banging away uh, writing a book right now. You know, he might just hear <laughs> minus those funky noises, but you know, you get the types that you get the natural sound there. <laughs> I was hoping for uh, another Rob Halford book, but I think yes, I know oh, that's right. That was another good one too. Yeah, I confess. I think he said he, he might do another one. Yeah. That could be really good, man. He said he has what he said he had a lot of dirt. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of exactly. It's like, oh, that'd be interesting. Because <laughs> the other one was pretty dirty. <laughs> it, it was pretty like there was a lot. He did not hold back. Nope, did not hold back. He said. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. It, well, go ahead. What are you gonna say? No, you, you take uh, it and lead it. No, you say, hey, you know, we no, it's all right, man. It's been great uh, getting back into the new year with the. Uh, one of we we've been so excited to bring this to you folks so excited it's always worth the wait uh you got to check out that book uh it's just it's 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 got everything there man and uh you know two steps forward uh miles copeland and just so good such a great read so many stories and uh man man i can't wait till you do a mixed cloud on this one (laughs) it's gonna be so cool i don't have to be a two-parter yeah right oh my gosh yeah this one absolutely (laughs) There, there was uh, coincidentally around the same time uh, as a book came out, there was an article. Uh, I think it was an uncut or mojo or one of those magazines about the time that, that miles and the police uh, who were touring with the cramps at the time got stuck uh, in the middle of a gun battle. Mm. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that was so insane. Oh my God. And uh Again, you know, that wasn't in the book, but it very well could have been. So right. yeah, that's the kind of stuff that gotta have it. Gotta I want to read about. I know, right? So wild. It's like when these guys have so much time when they're not touring and when they're not in the studio, mayhem can break out. <laughs> can oh yeah. Yep. 
Well, check out oh, our yeah. catalog, folks. We, we got so many big ones coming up uh, for you. We've got, oh man, we got so much cool stuff. Uh, it's just so exciting. We got Taria uh, from Nightwish. We've got our chat with Carmine Appies. Appies. Uh, we've got, I always do that. I never used to do that until the interview. <laughs> Carmine Appies. Um, and then uh, I mean, you and I talked with, um, of course, the great Albert Bouchard, right? Blue Oyster Cult. Uh, gave us a preview of uh, Imaginos 3, which is, that's going to be so wicked cool. Yeah, that album, album uh, dropped back in early December, but... Yep. Uh, For two, right? That was two. He, yeah, he stops. No, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, that was two. Forget it. Yep. Um, no, no, you're good, but, but three's coming. Yeah, he was. He, he gave us a preview of three. Yeah. I'm is, heavily medicated. <laughs> he talked about both, so no, no, you're good. Yeah, he talked about both. And then uh, Ross the Voss mm-hmm. and we have David Sanctious of yep. the E Street Band. So cool. Coming up, talking about some, uh, well, which the record, uh, which record just came out? Uh, was it today or yesterday? Oh, it was the anniversary of uh, Greetings from Asbury Park, I think, right? Yeah. How many yeah. years old is that? Uh, it was 73, so I can do the math. I know. It's 50. It's insane. It's 50. Whew. Yeah. 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 My, yeah. So that's going to be a special one to bring out to you all, man. We are so pumped. So that's. Uh, it's just going to be a good month, a couple yep. months. Mm-hmm. We're already, uh, yeah, we're already booked in the March. <laughs> and, yeah, and a mystery guest that we cannot say, but that in, that interviews uh, on Monday, so it's, it's going to be so great. We'll tell you then, and then we so have to, write, yeah, we'll run it when the, when the time is right. Oh yeah, a legend. Yes, oh yeah, a legend, <laughs> a legend. Yes, a legend who's played with some of the people we talked about. Yep. <laughs> well, dude, right, I, right. I. Uh, I guess I can, I can do some records because it's been yeah, man. It's been insane with the amount of stuff that's come out. Yeah, we, we were, have. Yeah, we were so busy uh, the last six months of, of 2021 that it was just really impossible to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> In the simplest terms, it was just uh, impossible. Oh, wait. There we go. Let's try that. Low light. Go ahead. Oh, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> you get the red. I get the blue. <laughs> oh. Hang on. I got to do a screenshot boy. of this. <laughs> Damn it. Hang on. I forgot to do this. Yeah. <laughs> the red and the blue. <laughs> <laughs> the red and the black. The red and the black. That's, that's right. That's a Blister Cult song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is it, so the, the maiden, did Maiden cover that then? Is that a Maiden cover? Because they had uh, the red and the black. <laughs> On uh, the last the album before Sinjitsu, what I think I, I wonder. No, that wasn't a cover. I don't think it would be a cover, yeah, but no, they probably so, were paying yeah. tribute. They were yeah. probably playing tribute. Yeah, probably. Yeah. It's basically a deck of cards. That's what they're talking about. But right, yeah. And uh, Sandy was Sandy Perlman was really into all that weird uh, sci-fi stuff and yep. fantasy and. Card, cards show up and, and card uh, playing cards show up in a lot of their releases in some form or another and they also um, are, are in some of their songs mm-hmm. so Sandy liked chance yeah. he liked the game of chance yeah he sure did oh yeah yeah <laughs> but uh, dude this thing is huge uh, as you know talking records here Dave Dude, this this is as big as it gets. Uh, I know you're going to go nuts over this. Um, Just saw this uh, within the past 24 hours, Mm. and I gave a shout out to you. And of course, uh, yeah, it was so cool, man. Our our expert Greg Renoff. 
on Twitter about it. Uh, Mobile Fidelity has announced that uh, it's going to be putting out the first five, six of Van Halen records mm. um, in uh, as two LP sets and 45 RPM on this special. It's called MoFi Super Vinyl. Amazing. Huge, man. Huge. Yeah. So uh, they're all going to be limited to, uh, I, I believe it is 15,000 copies of, of, of each, each one from Van Halen 1 through 1984. Oh, man. So that's Van Halen 1, Van Halen 2, Women and Children First, Fair Warning, Diver Down, yep. and uh, 1984. 1984. Yeah. How'd I do? <laughs> <laughs> no, you did. You, yeah, you got them in. That's going to be massive, man. And that's going to be, those are going to skyrocket in price. I'm I'm sure of it. Uh, it was a really good idea. I guess I, I would assume Wolfgang, or maybe this was something that was already in the works. I don't know, but um, they they painstakingly go through the tapes, and this will be the third, or I think this is the third time now that these have been remastered. Hmm. So, um, and and Mobile Fidelity has a reputation for doing really warm sounding uh timeless uh that's a lot of their pressings are considered to be the best pressings out there of of a particular record Mm. so i am not sure who who the engineer is because i i've looked it doesn't say who worked on it right but um they went they 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 acquired the the master tapes and went through them and um this is what we're going to get I cannot wait for that, man. That's going to be insanely cool. Yeah, I mean, just just to get the first one alone, I think. Uh, yeah, is, is is a necessity for for even just a casual Van Halen fan because it's right. it's one of the best albums of all time, and it's definitely the best the debut. Top, yeah, yeah, it's definitely in the top five of of, of anything recorded in the seventies. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but. Uh, they say here on their website that uh, they play with reference setting sonics to elevate a 10 times platinum landmark record whose importance cannot be quanti- quantitatively measured. The definitive version will provide a clear, clean, transparent, balanced, and turn the volume up to 11 view of an album that birthed an entirely new style of playing guitar. <laughs> That's, is that the write-up? Oh, that's the write-up on the thing? Yeah. That's since, just incredible. Yeah, since, yeah. since Mobile Fidelity's unique, quote, super vinyl, one word, uh, unquote, compound, allows you to crank the decibels to your wildest desires without risking noise, floor interference. Prepare to not only hear, but feel Van Halen in your chest. Mm. No, fifth, no fifth row concert seat necessary. Mm. So there it is right there. That's Alex Van Halen's kick drum right there. I, I ate it somehow. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah, they're, That's so awesome. they're basically making the record as a museum like artifact. That's what that's what they want. They want to have something that is timeless. Hmm. Uh, they usually don't go back and repress these. Once they do them, they're done. I have not heard of any any release that they've done where they went back and, and redid redid something. And well, it's fifteen thousand. That means it's fifteen thousand. That's it. Awesome. So cool. 
So which one are you got, Dave? Uh, definitely that one. And I would say Women and Children's, which is just such a cooker. So good. I get 1984 too, maybe. But I did the first one in Women and Children for sure. Or maybe the first two. And I don't know. There's so many. Yeah. I'm going to probably do uh, the first two out of the gate for me are going to be Fair Warning and, and Van Halen 1. Okay. There you go. But I have a feeling Van Halen One's going to go like <laughs> gone super quick. I know, right? Yeah, in the first hour. So yeah. <laughs> but I, I have a, also have a feeling a fair warning will go pretty quick as well. But yeah. um, I would probably say the least the, the one that will be on sale the longest will be Diver Down. Yeah, yeah, that one never really caught on, did it? I mean, sort of, but not you know. Not as but much, the, I think. the the complaint about this from a lot of people will be of course the price the price nice. for this these two lp just for one release will be 125 bucks mm-hmm. so to have the whole set will be about 900 dollars, which yeah. is um <laughs> it's it's not in a lot of people's wheelhouse you know right I mean? especially nowadays yeah yeah so that i i wish that they were they would put more out i wish they would do a one disc version because they're one disc uh silver edition uh which that cannot be ruled out because they have done that but they right. will once they do a pressing like this they'll only do one and they'll move on mm. so pretty exciting though huh it's pretty cool man i mean i, I dig that that's pretty darn cool <laughs> you'd be huge man <laughs> yeah i didn't want to bury the lead i mean i didn't want to go right into it but that was that's the biggest news i've seen in the last it's, six months yeah it's massive they, and it just came out of nowhere boom just put it right on there it was awesome yeah yeah the, awesome the next too. thing of course is uh david bowie's toy album uh finally is it was his unreleased 90s uh, 2000 record that he pulled the plug on mm-hmm. uh, i was supposed to be pulled i think it was supposed to be out in uh around around early 2000s or late late 90s mm. um it had some songs that he uh reworked from his 1964 to 1971 and then he also had some brand new songs nice and th- that that was his plan with this record um and it's 12 it was a 12 track album that uh he just decided i'm not releasing it <laughs> <laughs> it's like not feeling it and, yep yeah I don't know yeah. if there was health stuff going on then or what, but or he just was it, a it, bit particular about it. Maybe yeah, you don't know. You'll never know. Sadly, I just frustrated with it. I'm not sure, but he pulled the plug on it, and yeah. uh, what it's coming out as a two is coming out as a three CD set and a I think it's a four or five LP mm. vinyl set, which is um, it's already out. That's so. cool. That's very cool. Well, it looks like the cover art was done by David Lynch. <laughs> it's the <laughs> ugliest cover. It's the ugliest cover art I've ever seen of any record on the planet. Oh, that's horrible. That just makes no <laughs> sense. <laughs> it's worse but, than the, de- the Devil Baby on uh, um, the Black Sabbath album, Born Again. <laughs> I love that cover, dude. Actually, I know. I do like that cover. Yeah. That, I, for some that actually reason, worked. I, that did work. Yeah. yeah. It was better than the album, but yeah. <laughs> it, it was a little surprising just because it looked so cheap. But right, right. as as time has moved on, I, I really love that album cover. Mm. I don't I don't know why. Yeah. I think they were trying to kind of rival Ozzy 
You know? Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, I could see that. Especially speaking that, of that era, yeah. And speaking of metal, uh, we're getting basically twelve remasters of this band, Dave. If you want to say it, I don't know if you can read it or not. Hang Let's on. Can you figure that uh, out? Saxon, yeah. It's actually Biff's birthday, I think. Yeah, I yep. like that. Saxon, they're just amazing live. We saw them in uh, Houston with mate with a priest. It was so cool. Oh man, I, I, I uh, they were they were essential to to the, the new wave of British heavy metal. I mean, I basically oh, yeah. would say they they were arguably the first first band to make a new wave of British heavy metal record. Absolutely. So uh, January fifteenth is when Biff is seventy. So early. Wow! Happy birthday, happy birthday Biff. Biff! Happy birthday! Yes, sir. Have yeah, a birthday! Yeah, I uh, man, they're just uh, what was it talking about the airplane? Um, seven forty-seven. Just that, that gritty sound. It's got like a there's a, there was a period there where they had some really like just gritty rock and roll kind of like uh, like Scorps, you know. Yeah, um, like the um, you know, burn this will burn the sky album, or you know the the album with that song on it. And I was like, I can play those back to back. It's like, oh man, I just love that era. <laughs> that Screaming was, guitars. Uh, that was uh seven forty seven. Strange, strange, strangers in the night. That's it. And that yes. was on. That was on wheels of steel. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Which I would probably say that one would be the one I would say would be the first. Um, yeah. New wave of British heavy metal record. Yeah, I, I, I yes, I'm gonna crank that. Nineteen eighty, baby. Um, yes. But the album, the albums are, in case you're wondering, Saxon, uh, self-titled, Wheels of Steel, Strong mm-hmm. Arm of the Law, amazing, mm-hmm. uh, Denim and Leather, mm-hmm. uh, The Eagle Has Landed, Power and the Glory, Crusader, Innocence is No Excuse. Mm-hmm. Rock the nations, yeah, which is which. <laughs> every time we Google this show or someone Google this show, you know, it not that we do, when other people do, it comes up. <laughs> <laughs> and Destiny, baby, Des- I don't, Destiny. yeah, I, I dig Destiny. That one has a, uh, I think, Broken Heroes is on that. Uh, it's either that one or Innocence is No Excuse. It's on one of those two. Uh, and they did a cover of the Christopher Cross song, um, uh, uh, Riding on the Wind. Or, uh, yes. I think that's it. Yeah, which is so good. I mean, I and it's it's very AOR, but I dig it. <laughs> well, Biff, Biff love yeah. Biff like Christopher Cross. So yeah, he did, man. That was Biff's band. So that's what Biff says. He is, is what Biff wants is what Biff gets. Damn right. So, but I I uh, Rock of Nations came out when I was uh, in high school. <laughs> Wait, Rock of Nations I, or Rock the Nations? <laughs> rock, really? rock the Nations. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Which old, is just a man. coincidence, just a coincidence, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Crusader was uh, a strong one. That that one was actually recorded at uh, Sound City Studios with no, uh, the, the Dave Grohl did the wonderful uh, documentary Son, on uh, Sonic Sonic Highways. Was it? Uh, yeah, Sound yeah. Sound City. Yeah, yeah, Sound, Yeah, yeah. I forget what the he did one on yeah. Sound City, and then he liked doing the documentary so much they went and did the Sonic Highways documentary. That's afterwards. right. That's what. It, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which was like a uh, was a show, wasn't it on HBO? It was a whole show, yeah. It's a whole production. It was great, really good. Yeah, really. But good. Uh, there's your pretty much. You can feast on. They're all expanded. They all have additional bonus tracks. Mm-hmm. Some will have uh, bonus discs of of live material, um, BBC sessions, uh, 
unreleased singles, you name it. So uh, that's, that's going to be fun. I think our, our, one of our fans of our show, Greg, the Hellion Hellum. Uh, I saw driving by today. I was on South street. He didn't wave by the way. <laughs> so he, he's going to listen to this he, and be like, he was probably Kinchin. listening to Saxon. <laughs> <Screw you Kinchin. laughs> he's probably, probably listened to, he was probably listening to Saxon, the old crappy the old. remasters of Saxon. Yeah. <laughs> and not, the, and not these new expanded versions. <laughs> But that's just Greg, you know. Yeah, we can talk and talk to her blue in the face, but mm-hmm. yep. No, but I'm sure he's gonna probably be all over this. So this very exciting. Me- the Saxon remasters, expanded remasters, that is, comes out on January 28th of this year. So mm. no, no word yet on a vinyl, vinyl editions of, of the expanded stuff like Black Sabbath has been doing, but stay tuned. Yeah, man, that's coming. It's gonna be great. That's gonna be awesome. <laughs> Another interesting set diamond dave uh in february for february 18th is overkill's atlantic years are finally getting compiled together in a six cd box set nice so that'll include everything that they've recorded for the atlantic label when they got signed in 1987 on the taking over record that's a yeah uh, that's a quality record man yep under the influence the years of decay horoscope which I think I do have on record. I hear black and WFO, which I'm mm. sure is very naughty. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> uh, this is bare bones. This will be uh, really cool. Like, check this out, dude. It's like these little mini sleeves and a really cool. Uh, uh, oh, those are really cool. Yeah. With their, uh, the bands. Uh, yeah. What would, what would you call that? Their, um, uh, quarter inch right now what, what is it that's like a other logo they're um insignia uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's like a it's like eddie it has a yeah mascot yeah yeah mascot yeah that's yeah. what i meant cool i'm heavily medicated no, <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty cool uh that's gonna be dropping in in uh about a month or a nice. month and a half yeah man X- <laughs> they were really pumping out the metal dude metal is like back you wouldn't believe yeah there's a huge demand for it so cool and uh, think back to one of our first shows together uh i love this show we actually have a history lesson up on mix mix cloud mm-hmm. of this gentleman uh carl kennedy and yes. one of the things we talked to carl about in our episode which uh, i don't remember which number but uh it's was, there, yeah deep was the rod's very first record which was in legal limbo mm. because uh, the rods signed to a lot of labels that turned out to kind of, kind of go bust mm-hmm. and, or they just went into uh, the legal wranglings that we're talking about with uh, miles Copeland and everything else. Uh, Arista records, the rods, very first record uh, self-titled record was on Arista records and uh, the records that they made before that one, uh, which is this bad boy. It is called Rock Hard. Mm. And there's Carl with his uh yep, super- <laughs> there's Carl the, yeah. Carl wearing his leathers. He looks yep. like uh basically Lemmy. He does, yeah. Get the, the sort of mustache, right? Yeah. Have have beard, to, yeah. I have to ask him about this. <laughs> but uh back again, yeah. Mr. David <laughs> Feinstein, who is uh related to the one and only ronnie ronnie 
Ronnie James Dio. Dio. Yeah. <laughs> Here he was known as David Rock Feinstein. Ah. Uh, Stephen Starmer on bass and Carl on drums, of course. This album, their very first record, is getting a release. It, it was uh, supposed to come out last year at this time. Mm -hmm. It got pushed back uh, on vinyl mm. until August. And then it officially came out. It went way under the radar. Mm. Uh, came out in October and now it officially is coming out. So it's awesome. Go figure. That's going to be cool, man. We got to get him back to talk about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Carl just posted some stuff on his Instagram page. He's framing them. And the vinyl, the vinyl editions are really these really cool splattered editions. Mm. Um, the CDs have, in some cases, about five to 10 bonus tracks. Uh, they cover. Uh, which you might remember. Were you a Pat Benatar fan at all, Dave? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, there's a song called that Pat Benatar did on one of her records called You Better Run. It was mm -hmm. a Young Rascal song. Great oh, that's song. right. Yeah, yeah. You better run. You better mm -hmm. hide. Yeah, uh, I remember Rod, that. The Rods did that on their on their first. They, it was like a B-side or a single or something like that, but it's on mm -hmm. this record. Uh, they also covered Sit Down Honey from Elf, okay. which, was the lead, which was the lead off track. Yep, the band so, that got uh, Rainbow started. Yep, but this is a great, <laughs> this is a great, uh, this is a great seventies uh, rock and roll release. Yeah, and it's a very important part of the Rod's uh, history. Yeah. So uh, it's impossible to find if you try to find a copy of this on vinyl, uh, original. It's it'll cost mm. it'll set you back five hundred bucks. Mm. So damn, pretty cool that, that this is out and yeah. all. And a lot of the Rod's catalog, not all of it, is also uh, on its way out. So, mm. did you did you lose me there? Uh, your video, not your audio. You're good. Okay. So it's uh, it's going to be fun in the next couple of months because this stuff will go quick. Oh yeah. Uh, it'll be fun fun for the Rod's fans because uh, all the stuff is out. So yeah, it's going to be killer, man. So cool. Remastered at Temple of Disharmony uh, Studios, cutting by SST Germany on the on uh high-end vinyl so it's a great title for a label I, I dig that all around good stuff brother we, <laughs> we haven't talked to records in so long so very cool it's, it's always interesting i know i, I love it and this is a hell of a collection too it's worth it man worth the wait yeah, yeah. van halen thing stay tuned i will let you know as soon as i know yes sir and you folks out there listen as well and uh you better move quick because they're not going to be they're not going to be up for sale very long let me snapping that up quick oh yeah <laughs> I would say it would be gone within the day. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right, man. Some good stuff here. Miles Copeland, a wonderful interview. Great chat. And then some records uh, from the vault. <laughs> oh, yes. Did you see any cool news? What's up? Did you see any cool news or anything like um, that? Nah, you know, not really. There's <laughs> just, it hasn't been, I think pretty much the Van Halen thing was the big one. You know, that was the big yeah. thing I saw. Uh, I mean, our journey Toto, they're touring. We know that was coming up. So they'll be coming to Philly. That'll be cool. Uh, Genesis yeah. was amazing. I think we talked about that last time. Maybe they were great. Um, yeah, man. I don't know. It's just, we'll see a whole new announcement of shows coming up and we'll keep you updated online. Yeah. Oh, well, Axel Rose says there, there's a new Guns N' Roses record actually coming. He said, this is, this is breaking news. He said he, he enjoyed it. He he enjoyed the process of recording it. This was up on Ultimate Classic Rock. So some new nice. GNR coming. Yeah. Cause he had that track old school, which is very different. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, new GNR, it's going to be huge, man. That's going to be massive. What yeah. uh, Dave, David Lee Roth, of course, he came out, um, the whole thing canceled, yeah. The whole thing's canceled. 
which yep. is supposed to be it was supposed to be happening like this this weekend yeah the start, right? residency yeah yeah and I, and I don't know if this dovetails with some health issues or just that that strange interview he gave uh you know where he he originally canceled a couple of dates and then or did yeah. he postpone i forget something happened but um yeah it's crazy it's like oh man you know hope everything's all right with our dlr but our diamond dave the original diamond yep. dave. a lot of people are worrying about dave um I actually had a conversation with Jay Sonica. He was actually said he's not looking well. Right. I don't know if you agree I think, with that assessment. I think the same thing when he talked to Joe Rogan a few months back. I said same thing. He's just yeah, it's it's um you know, thoughts and prayers, but it was you know, I was concerned very much still am, you know. Yeah. yeah. I'd have not seen that. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I I'll send you the link. I don't usually drift to Joe Rogan. <laughs> well, you know, I, but, I, but I, music, I didn't I, even know he was yeah. on there. Yeah. Yeah. He, does, he had some great guests. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Every now and then. Is he, kind of, music. Hmm? Is he kind of given uh, at this point, Howard Stern to run for his money? Could be. I think so. You know, on the podcast side of it. Yeah. It seems like it from the guests, to the interviews and yeah, but, but the interviews never go. It's weird. Cause like he talked about Roth was on there for three hours and, you know, kept talking about how he talks to Alex Van Halen, but, you know, Rogan never asked about Eddie Van Halen. Eddie Van Halen never came up once. It was insane. So wow. I don't, there's some weird stuff there. So it's like, I listen really and anytime these, these guys talk, you know, on major shows, I listen and, you know, so that's, you know, but yeah. That's a, that's like the elephant in the room. I mean, you would think that would be one of the uh, yeah. first questions. And then I thought, am I crazy? And then Eddie Trunk tweeted the same thing saying, I listened to this for three hours and didn't hear anything about Eddie Van Halen. And I'm like, how is this possible? How is this? Yeah. This is this is like you know ridiculous. Anyway, yeah. well, do you have the quote? Do you have the quote that Dave pretty much uh, put out? Uh, Let's see. The last forty-eight hours, where he's basically talking about the fires in Colorado, and he said, unless it's a benefit for the fires in Colorado, or or this or for that, then I might do a show. But for right now, um, this is it. Yeah, he said, this is W-R-O-R, 105.7, 80s and more. Uh, let me see. You have that. I'm looking uh, for the quote. Um, yeah, yeah, he said, um, uh, several other outlets reported on the cancellations as well, and EW report. Uh that they got a message from Diamond Dave via his manager that read, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. We got rained out, COVID canceled, future shows, when the benefit concert, when the benefit concerts for Colorado Farm Aid and hospital workers everywhere come up, call me. Uh, they also received, okay, yeah. Uh, and it goes on to say, where is it here? Um, so it was a little bit of positive. Yeah, it was a little bit, yeah, yeah, a little bit there, yeah. But then he told a publication uh, last year, I'm retiring, this is the first and only official announcement. I'm not going, you know, he basically said, I'm not going to get into it. That's when he talked to the Las Vegas Review and Journal. So, yeah. Oh, so uh, is that money being refunded or is that? I don't know, we'll have to they, find out, yeah. To be continued or I guess we'll have to look into it. Next yeah, week. We'll have to, yeah, and we can tweet out the updates too as well. Yep. Yeah. I just figured I'd bring that up. No, good I, call. Yeah, good call. But anyway, my brother. Good stuff, my man. Great good chat. Great rock music and roll. ahead. Yes, man. And we are kicking off the new year with the bang. Bang. That was the bang. 
Bang. <laughs> Some Barry White going on there. Yeah. We have low budget sound effects here. <laughs> anyway. Oh, man. I'm All excited. Right. Me too. Happy New Year to you, brother. And so much more coming up very, very soon. Welcome nations with Dave Kinchin. Hey.